Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Yeah. So please, make sure you do that today. We just have two weeks before the walk, so really get in on it. You know, don't say, oh yeah, somebody else will do it. No, you do it, okay? Um, We are today wrapping up our series called Life with a Purpose, and I'm glad that you're here with us. I'm glad for those of you who are joining us from Vallejo and those joining us online. Um, This is such a, a crucial question, and I was thinking about that this week. You know, you have been asking the question why all of your life, not maybe the big why, but like when you were a little kid, it was, why do I have to eat those peas? You know? Why do I have to make my bed? I'm just going to sleep in it again tonight. Why do I need to clean my room? Why do I need to take a bath? You know? And then, of course, every parent says they will never say this, but every parent finally resorts to the answer, because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, you heard that. You swore you would never say that to your kids, but you did. I know, because I did too. Um, now, when you get into high school, the why becomes a little bit different. Like, why do I need to know how to diagram a sentence? Why do I need to get a summer job? You know, all of those kind of things. Sadly, what happens is as we grow older, we never ask the big why question. And that's what this whole series is about, is finding your why. Because the big why, and, and, and lurks in the back of all of our minds, but maybe we never take the time to actually vocalize it, is why did God put me on this earth? What is my purpose here? Because I really do believe, I really do believe that God has a purpose for every one of your lives, has a purpose for my life. And and you can go through life living it by accident and just see what happens and what comes your way, or, or you can live it intentionally with significance and meaning and with purpose. And it's been my hope for the last five weeks to be your guide through this whole process. And, and hopefully you've taken some of these things and started that work on your own to discover what is your why. Because when you do, when you discover that, it, it clarifies so many more things for the rest of your life. And, and we as a church, that's, it's really behind our five core values, our whys as a church, if you will. It has to do with all of those things. We said week one, it starts with your relationship with God. We live a life of worship that everything we do to an audience of one. He's the one who made us. He's the one who loves us. He's the one who has gifted us. He's the one we want to live our life for because that's where you're going to begin to find your purpose. But you need to be a part of a community of faith, a grace-filled community where we have the chance to learn and to grow and experiment and even maybe sometimes fail because the third thing is we're all people in process. None of us has it all figured out. None of us has it all together. But we are all in process because God is shaping and defining our character. And then we talked about last week about this idea of living generous lives, that God has given you resources and gifts and talents and all of these things, and they are all part of how he has shaped you and prepared you for his purpose. So all of this is going to come down to passage that we're going to look today, and it's really, uh, it's a writing of the apostle Paul. Now, besides Jesus Christ, Paul, the apostle, was probably the most influential person in our faith, Christian faith. He wrote most of our New Testament. They were letters actually to churches that he had planted all around the Mediterranean. Churches and pastors. And then most of our New Testament are letters that he wrote to those people. And in fact, one of the passages that we're going to look at is actually from his second letter to the Corinthian church. And this is where he really kind of lays out his life purpose. One of the places at least. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to follow along, in verse 14 is where we're going to pick it up. This is what he says. 
Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I know, you look at someone like Paul and the influence and the impact that he had on our world, and you say, well, that's not me. No, 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 it's not. You know, you may not have the impact that Paul had. You likely will not write any of the New Testament. In fact, if you do, we're going to hold you a little suspect. (laughs) But you do have an impact in this world. You have a purpose in this world. And, And it might just be your little corner of the world. But I truly believe that you have a why, that God created you and shaped you and gifted you and placed you where you're at for a purpose. And that's why this is so important, that you live your life in the purpose that God has for it. And as you do that, and what I hope to do today is give you some real clarity on how you can actually write out your life mission statement, your life purpose statement. Because when you do that, a couple of things are going to happen. First of all, it's going to clarify your motivation. Because that, that's what the why is all about. Why do I do what I do? It'll clarify your motivation. We said in the first week, actually we've said it each week. When it comes to your mission, your purpose in life, it has to do with two things. The contribution that you are here to make. And the second part of that is the impact it's going to have on others. And those are the two real elements, two foundational elements. And today, by the end of this message, I hope you'll be able to be able to write that sentence or at least start the process of writing that sentence because that whole thing is what gives you motivation. Now, there's a lot of things that motivate people. There's a lot of things that drive people. Some people are driven by success and achievement. Some people are are driven by wealth and fame, um, recognition. Some people can be motivated sometimes by fear. People can be motivated by guilt. And I think sometimes the church has been really good at motivating people by guilt. And and guilt's a great motivator for as long as you feel guilty. I, 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 I can distinctly remember to this day, all the way back to elementary school. Because in the elementary school, we didn't have hot lunch. You know, everybody brought their own lunch in a sack or a bag or mailbox, you know, mailbox, mailbox, lunch box, you know, Scooby-Doo on the front, whatever it was. But, but what they noticed was that kids were so anxious to get out to recess that they weren't even eating their lunch. They were just kind of dumping it in the garbage can. And so the principal of our school actually gave a message to us at lunchtime. And it went something like this. Boys and girls, do you know that your mother loves you? 
and that she has given great thought to packing you a nutritious lunch because she loves you. And for you to just throw that lunch in the garbage, that is like hurting your mother. Is that good guilt or what? You know? <laughs> Nobody threw their carrot sticks away after that. It was just like, oh, you're not going to hurt my mom, you know? But guilt can be a great motivator, but it's not the best motivator because as soon as you stop feeling guilty, you move on. Paul says the great motivator, the great motivator is the love of Christ. He says it's Christ's love. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. Not some warm, fuzzy kind of love, but some real, tangible, actual love. Christ's love. That Christ gave his life for all. Now, again, you got to understand what it means for Paul to say this because Paul was raised Jewish and, and was actually a Pharisee. And, and, and for him, it was all about being God's people. And as God's people, you obeyed the Torah. And, and that's how you were. And all of his life was spent on, on teaching people and correcting people and getting people to obey the commandments, to be obedient to the Torah. And, and in fact, so much so that, that he made it, his, his life was towards the end. He was trying to just kill all the Christians and eradicate these Christ followers that were kind of messing up his beliefs. And then God got a hold of him. And he realized that Christ had died for him. And not only changed his life, it changed his whole life message. And he became planter of all of these churches, the writer of our New Testament. He said, it's so fundamentally changed. The idea that Christ would give his life for me, that is such a compelling motivation. It changed everything for him. In fact, so much so he wrote this in the, second, the first letter to the Corinthian church. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, no matter what I say or no matter what else I do, I'm just making noise if it, doesn't motiv- if it, isn't, if it isn't motivated by his love. It's that important. It became life-changing. And that's the first element of your life purpose. It's that contribution. The contribution is motivated by Christ's love. And if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, then, then that becomes your motivation. That's, that's where that contribution is going to come from. And by the way, if you are not a follower of Christ yet, um, this still becomes a very, very important thing to you. What is going to be the contribution of your life? Because all throughout your life, you are going to fulfill a lot of different roles. You will fulfill certain family roles. It might be starting out as a son or a daughter. Um, maybe you become a husband or a wife or a father or mother grandfather, grandmother. You're going to fill all these different roles throughout your life. You will fill some vocational roles where you maybe are a student. Then you're a trainee. Um, And and then maybe you become a full-time employee. And then maybe you become your own employer. You have your own business or become a supervisor or a leader. But you will have influence in those people's lives. And in each one of those roles, your purpose is going to stay the same. You will fulfill certain community roles as a friend or a neighbor or maybe a little league coach, whatever it might be. There's going to be all kinds of different roles that you will fulfill throughout your life. And every one of those roles will in some way impact people because people are the heart of that contribution. Your contribution is what do you bring and add to the life of other people. Now, here's the biggest roadblock to that whole thing is that we are by nature not givers. We tend to be by nature selfish. 
We tend by nature to be self-interested. We tend by nature to be self-centered. And if you don't believe that, just ask, answer this question. Have you ever been part of a group picture and then you all look at that picture? Who's the first person you look at? <laughs> and how do you judge how great a picture that was? Because if the person next to you is looking down or you know, looking the other direction or frown on their face, as long as you look good in that picture, that's a great picture. <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of our natural bent. He says, no, no, no. Your life purpose is not going to be about you. It's about what you bring, what you contribute, what you offer to other people. That's what Paul said. He said, he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who who died for them and was raised again. See, when Christ becomes the center of your life, then you don't live your life for yourself anymore. And your purpose is not wrapped up in your ideas and your benefit and your achievements and your accomplishments and your accumulating stuff. It changes everything. You start thinking about your contribution. John Maxwell says one of the best questions you can ask yourself is how can I add value to other people? Because that's where your motivation is going to come from. The second part of it is, as you define your life purpose, it's going to give your life meaning. And that's the second half of it. The first half is, what is the contribution of my life? What do I have to contribute? The second part is, how will it leave a lasting impression? How will it impact other people? What difference will it make? And both of those are are, are important parts of it. Throughout your life, we said this a couple weeks ago, throughout your life, you'll go through all kinds of different experiences. Not only will you fulfill different roles and have different types of relationships, you will have different types of experiences. We showed that to you a couple weeks ago, and some of them are happy, and some of them are not so happy. And I kind of gave you a graph. If you did something like this, I hope you did this. Everybody, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm just assuming you all did this, right? You all went home and did this. Put out a map of your life. On a, you know, on a scale of one to ten, five being right in the middle, how many experiences, life-changing experiences, turning point experiences in your life, and then where they fit, and some of them were highs and some of them were lows, and you graph them all out, that's what you began to start, realize your life has been full of ups and downs. But each one of those experiences God has used to shape your life. And he shaped your life so that you would start looking at people differently. It wasn't until I went through my own struggles with depression that I really had an understanding of what depression was really like for people. Because up until then, I was kind of, well, I was a pastor, so I kind of, you know, I'd nod my head and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. Inside, I'm saying, just suck it up. Come on, get on with life. Until I experienced it. And those experiences in life, God brought you through so that you can use them for other people. And that's what Paul did. He said, because of all of his experiences, he says, so now, from now, from now on, we regard no one else, from, no one from a worldly point of view. He says, I just can't look at people the same way anymore. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. In other words, he said, Christ has so changed my life. I just thought he was some radical, crazy rabbi. But he so got a hold of my life that I, I couldn't look at him that way. And what it did was it changed the way that I look at all the people around me. I just can't look at people the same way. I can't not look at them except through the eyes of eternity. And that's the meaning that it brings to your life. And that's why one of our core values around here is the last one that we're talking about today is redemptive relationships. 
Because all of those experiences and all of those giftings and talents and abilities God has given to you to use for other people. Years ago, I, I attended a, a conference. Bill Heibel was the, one of the main speakers there. And he said this line, and it has stuck with me for over 25 years. He said, you will never look into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. You will never look into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. What was he saying? The exact same thing that Paul was saying. I can't look at people from, from a worldly point of view anymore. I just can't. It's changed the way that I look at people. And you see, all of, all of Scripture is really the story of God's reconciling the work. It says this, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That all of Scripture really is the unfolding of God's redemptive reconciling this world. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we live in a broken world. And we see evidence of that all around us all the time. And whether it is a mass shooting or a playground bully, it's all part of the same brokenness. And it's a brokenness because of our broken relationship with God. And all of Scripture is the story of God redeeming and reconciling, bringing us back together. And that is our only hope. And that's the difference we want to make with our lives. This is where all of those experiences and talents and gifts and all of that other stuff starts to come together. And it comes together in this, is that it gives you a life message. Your life message. And your life message must include an eternal element in it. Paul put it this way. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, that's you and me, committed to us the message of reconciliation. That you are a unique expression of that message of reconciliation. I am a unique expression of that message. And it's not just what you say or what I say, it's how we live our lives. He goes on, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Now, an ambassador is not someone who just speaks on behalf of his nation. He is a full representative of his nation. He is an ambassador to another country, but in that country, he is the representation of the country of his origin. You, as a Christ follower now, are an ambassador not just in your words, but in your life. You are a representation of this ministry and message of reconciliation. And it's unique. It's unique. Yours is unique than mine. Yours is different than mine. You have different gifts. You have different abilities. You have different experiences. You have different relationships. But you are to be, as I am to be, that kind of an ambassador. And there is no greater message, no greater message that any of us can have is that God loves people. That Christ gave his life, not counting our sins against us, so that we could be reconciled to God. And it comes to not just, like I said, not just what we say, but how we actually live our lives. How we drive our car. How we fulfill our role as a neighbor. 
or a friend. See, it's, it's all the way through. To find your why, and here's what I want to give you today. We're going to put those two elements together in a very simple sentence. Now, I'm, I'm saying it's a simple sentence. It's going to take you a long time to come up with this, okay? Because you're going to put through, you'll go through revision after revision after revision. But it's going to include all of these elements that we've been talking about for the last five weeks. But I want to help you get it down into one sentence. And it's not original with me. It actually comes from Simon Sinek's book that I mentioned in week one, Finding Your Why. And it simply is this. The sentence is this. To blank, so that blank. In other words, this is the contribution. What is my why? What is my purpose in life? Why did God put me on this planet to make this contribution so that it would have this impact? And I'm going to tell you, it's going to take you a while. You're going to have to work through it. And, and, and I would say, just start. Just start writing out things, thoughts that come to your mind. Go back through all those experiences and the giftings and all those things and, and start to refine it. And, and mine has gone through a number of revisions. Here's the one that I come up with now. This is the one, and I think I pretty much got a handle on it at age 62. Um, but this is my life purpose. This is my life purpose, to guide people into a meaningful relationship with God so that they would become participants in his redemptive work in this world. Now, that probably still needs some shortening and some refining, but that's why I'm here. I really do believe this. This is what drives me, because this is why God put me on this planet, to guide people into a meaningful relationship with him so that they could be participants in the work that he's doing in this world. Well, I just did that shorter. I gotta write, somebody write that down. <laughs> but, but that's really what it comes down to. Why do you exist? Why did God put you on this earth? To make this contribution so that it would have this impact. And I'll tell you a story to wrap it all up. I have a friend, had a friend, named Joel. I first met Joel about nine or ten years ago. I met him because um, he became engaged to um, one of the crew members that I sailed with. And actually performed their wedding for them. And, and Joel at first was a little hard for me to get used to. We had a lot of things in common, but we had some differences. But, but over time, we developed this friendship. And, and, and we would have some... He knew... And by the way, sometimes you know, people say, well, yeah, it's easy for you because you're a pastor. I mean, everybody expects you to talk about that kind of stuff. Let me tell you, it's harder for a pastor for exactly that reason. Because when somebody finds out you're a pastor, they're just expecting you to come down on them with a Bible or something, you know? So you got to be a little bit more open and, and a little more careful about all of it. But over the years, Joel and I would have conversations about God, about meaning. And I knew he had some belief in God and he had some background there. And we just would have these conversations from time to time. One of the things that he really became a part of was our walk for water. One of the things he loved about our church, and he maybe only attended and visited four or five times in the years that I knew him, but he loved what our church did in the community and for the world. And walk for water actually became a cause of his. About four years ago, might be five years now, he was diagnosed with bone cancer. 
in his knee. Decided not to go through chemotherapy because he said, if I'm going to only have a few years left to live, I really want to live. And I was mad at him. <laughs> but that was his choice. And he had a knee replacement surgery, you know, put in the titanium knee and all that thing. And, and he walked every year on our walk for water. Sometimes it was pushing a walker. Sometimes halfway through, he had to sit in a wheelchair. And, and he did really well for a number of years. And then a little over, about a year and a half ago, it really started to show itself. And he started to go downhill. And we would have more and more <laughs> conversations. And then it was just over, a little over a year ago that it came down to hospice. And, and they were setting up, uh, through Kaiser, setting up hospice care for him. And, you know, we went in and they talked to him about that. And he says, now we do have a chaplaincy service and we, we could sign you up to have a chaplain. And he says, no, no, no. He says, one of my friends is a pastor. He'll be my chaplain. And then, then they came and the nurse came and set up the oxygen and all that kind of stuff. They said, now we really do have a chaplain service if you're interested. And he said, no, no, no. I've got a friend who's a pastor. He's going to be my chaplain. Like four or five times, they kept offering this chaplain service to the point, and I don't know if I can say this in church, but he actually told them, I got a friend who's a pastor. I don't need your damn chaplain. <laughs> can I say that in church? I... He told me that over dinner on um, Labor Day a year ago. And when he told me that, I said, okay, Joel, if I'm going to be your chaplain, we're going to talk serious. And we had a very serious conversation about eternity, about Christ, about God. Had a couple of subsequent conversations. And he was, he was getting toward the end of his life. Sat down with him, had that last conversation, and he said, he said, Ken, I... I believe in God. I'm just not sure if I'm ready to, to accept Jesus. I said, Joel, I respect that. It's got to be your choice. But what I want you to know is the moment that you are ready to accept him, he has already accepted you. It was the last conversation I had with him. A couple days later, on a Sunday, just as I was standing backstage ready to come out and preach for the 1130 service that day, and I got a text from Deb, Joel has passed. Could you come by? And I kind of had to pull it together because I still had to come out and preach. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Joel's final decision was. I prayed with him. I prayed for him. Shared with him. But I don't know. What I do know is this. That God put me on this earth. In that friendship with Joel. so that I could be a part of guiding him 
into a meaningful relationship with God. I don't know what your sentence is going to look like, but I really do encourage you to figure it out, to write it out, to know why God put you on this earth. And a big, big part of it, a big, big part of it is that God has put you here to tell other people about his incredible, redeeming, life-transforming grace. And I really do hope, as a pastor, that all of you would know your why. Paul finished it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just turn it over to the Vallejo campus host to walk you through this. I, I, I really do believe that God's word always calls for a response. And so here's my question for you today. What does your life say to the people around you? Is it saying what you want it to say? God has something that he wants to say to this world through you. And he's given you the gifts and the tools and the abilities and the talents he has brought you through, those experiences that he's brought you through, so that you would give that message out. And if you don't speak it, who will? Who will? In your relationships, in your friendships, in your neighborhood, on your team, in your school, on your job, is your life saying, what you want it to say. Does it carry that message of grace, redemption, and reconciliation? If you're here today and you're willing to say, you know what? I do want my life to say something. And I know I'm not perfect. But God, I want people to know your love through me. And maybe there's just one aspect of your life that just you've been holding back on and, and maybe it's just a surrender there. I don't know what it is, but wherever God is speaking to you, would you be willing to say yes? God, I want to live a significant life. I want my life to have purpose and meaning. I want it to be a part of your grander purpose in this world. And today I'm just going to make a decision to move in that direction whatever that might look like for you. And if you're willing to make that decision, make that commitment, I want to pray for you. Would you let me know by just raising your hand and holding it up, look up, catch my eye, I want to acknowledge you. Yeah, 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 yeah.
God will use you and speak through you if you'll let him. And maybe you're here today, and maybe it really starts with being reconciled. You've been living your life pretty much on your own terms, doing your own thing for your own purposes. And maybe today for the very first time, you're willing to admit, God, that is not working and is leaving me empty and unfulfilled. I don't want to live that way anymore. But I need to be right with you. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to bring that reconciling work in me and make me right with you. And today, that's what I'm asking for. And if you have never done that before, but today, that's a first step of faith for you. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up, catch my eye so I can acknowledge you, lead you in a prayer. Yeah. 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 So just join me. God, we want to live significant lives. We want our lives to count for something, for someone. We want them to count for eternity. And for some of us, this is a first-time decision. We're just saying, I'm tired of living it for myself, empty and meaningless. God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need to be right with you. And I want to follow you with the rest of my life. And for some of us, we've made that big decision a long time ago, but kind of been drifting. And right now, it's just a time to settle things once and for all. I pray, God, that you would take us where we're at. Forgive us. Renew us, lead us, make us significant for your kingdom's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Yeah.